Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I'm so excited to have you here for another amazing episode that's going to give you hope, encouragement, and show you that your story is still unwritten. Before we dive into the show today, I was going to ask if you guys feel it, you're enjoying the show, to please leave a written review on iTunes. What it does is it allows more people to see the show. It pops up in their feeds more. It also allows people when they go to the show on iTunes to take a look at the reviews, maybe see what it's all about, and kind of what you're taking away from the show. It really makes a big difference, and I'm going to tell you why. Because if I'm scrolling through a new podcast, I want to kind of see what it's about and what kind of impact it's making. And the most recent review that I received on the podcast obviously made a big impact. And I wanted to share that with you guys today. The name of the review was, your podcast saved my life. I battled depression for years and kept saying to myself, I can fix it if I just find a man who loves me. Or if I just find a different job. Or if I just stay busy, I won't be so lonely. I was so scared to be diagnosed with depression that I kept trying to fix it on my own. Needless to say, I never fixed it. Recently, it's gotten to be the worst that it's ever been, where I was having suicidal thoughts, not just once or twice a month, like it's been for years, but now it was every day. I knew I needed help, but so scared to be labeled as depressed or psychotic. I was scared of being committed to a mental hospital and scared to try drugs that's going to give me all the kinds of side effects. Then knowing it usually takes a month to see if it even works was not very assuring. I also heard that some depression medicine make you sleep a lot or act like a zombie with no personality. Knowing all these things was very scary, but I knew I couldn't wait any longer. My friend knew I'd been battling with getting help for depression for years, and I recently told her my crazy thoughts that kept reoccurring. She insisted that I listen to your podcast. Well, I did, and I absolutely love all your stories. Yours is my favorite because it hit home. Hearing your story gave me the courage to finally make that doctor appointment and get help. I felt relieved that if they did send me to a hospital, that it wouldn't be permanent. I scheduled the earliest psychiatric appointment that was available, which isn't until the middle of September, but I knew I couldn't wait that long. I've been crying every day and even tried to hide the tears at work. I set an appointment with my family doctor and have been prescribed medication. I've been taking the medication for three weeks and have not had one suicidal thought. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for helping me realize that it's not normal to feel this way and that there is hope to finding medicine that will work for me. I've had to admit this is the first I've heard about podcasts and absolutely love listening. Looking forward to many more stories of hope. Thank you. Well, when I read this review, I was blown away. And not because she references my story in it, just because it reaffirms the purpose of the podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to show that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain. You can go through some really bad things in life in that there is hope for you, that your story is unwritten. There are still things that are going to happen in your life, and things will get better for you, and it could take different avenues and different roads and different, different amounts of time, but to not give up and to not feel lonely and to let you know that you are not alone, that other people are going through it and other people have come through it and other people are here to show you that you can come through it too. So please, 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 if something like this has touched your heart, leave a review for other people to see that, that there is hope for you, and there is a chance to show that your story is unwritten too. 
Well, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we have another great episode for you today, and I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Here is my conversation with Julie Martin. Well, I'd like to welcome Julie Martin to the show today. Julie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm so excited because that you're... I, I'm a little exhausted, but I'm, I've been looking forward to this. So I'm excited. Well, you're a mom, so you're always exhausted, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, Julie's a friend of mine, and I know her and her husband, and I'm excited for her to come on and share her story today. But before we like get into the meat of your story, tell me what your life was like before your story kind of evolved. Um, well, before we became parents, we were like every other like late 20s couple, I think. Mm -hmm. um, actually, Corey was already 30, so. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> older than I am. Um, and... I finished college later in life because of our move from Louisiana. We were born and raised there, both of us. Mm -hmm. um, when he graduated from LSU, we moved. And so I finished college here. And that took a while. Living out of state, it's very expensive. So, mm -hmm. of course, it just took a little longer. So um, when I finally graduated in 2006, um, we had traveled for 10 years. We had done a lot of different things together, and we just kind of hoped that you know, nature would take its course and mm -hmm. we would have a baby eventually because we were not doing anything to prevent it at that point since I was right. done with college. Um, but it didn't happen for us so easily. Right. You know, I, I've told you that before, but we lived like, I think like every other young couple, we live here in Orlando. We went to Disney all the time. We have friends. We go out. Um, I finished school. We cruised. Uh, we've been to Europe. We just felt like we had done so much except for this one thing, you know? <laughs> right. So did you guys know both of you like separately when you were becoming young adults and then talking about marriage and stuff? Did you guys always know you wanted a family? Was that always a thing yes. that was on your mind? That was very important to me. Um, I was very upfront about the fact that I wanted to be a mom because it's what I knew I wanted to be my whole life. Right. I never had ambitions as far as like I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And maybe a school teacher, and I did accomplish one of those goals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, I have. Um, and I'm a substitute teacher now, so that's close enough for me. Yeah, that, <laughs> you know? that works. That still qualifies, so you're doing a good it job. Qualify. I just want to bring the work <laughs> home with me, you know? I get right. to leave it at school. Even so, better. So right. A bonus exactly. there. <laughs> yeah. So what you guys knew going in that you wanted to have kids, but you guys oh, did yeah. a bunch of things first, traveled, did a lot of things, all the, like you said, stuff oh, young yeah. adults are doing. I didn't want to have a child while I was still in college either. I felt like that wasn't fair to me or to the child, mm -hmm. you know, because it was very important to me that I get a college degree. And even to Corey, to both of us, we are the oldest of our families. So mm -hmm. we're the first. Actually, I was the first person out of my parents to get a college degree. And then Corey was also the first person to get a degree in his family. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, something that was super important to both of us. So therefore, we always knew a child would come after that accomplishment for both of us. So you yeah. knew having a child was the next accomplishment for you guys together. Well, yes, and especially for me because he already had a, a pretty good job um, mm -hmm. that he had been at for, let's see, 2001, so like five, six years, mm -hmm. you know, the same job he has now. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, he's been there for a long time. But it's just, for in my mind, was the next step. Like that's what's going to happen and nothing's going to stop that. <laughs> But obviously, there are things in life that can get in the way. <laughs> right. So what was it like during that time frame when you guys were trying to get pregnant and weren't successful? Um, so 2005 is when we stopped taking any birth control. And I guess around 2007, 8, I really started just feeling like 
this is not happening. I'm like, it's been over a year. Mm -hmm. I started reading all this stuff, of course, and it tells you after a year you should, you know, start just exploring and seeing maybe what's going on with your body or your husband. So right. we did all those things and invasive, horrible testing on my end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, things you don't want to have to go through. I'm sure. I know more about the female body and how it works than I think any normal actual woman does. Unless <laughs> 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 but come to find out, you know, I just had a, I had an overactive pituitary gland, which is something that's common apparently, mm -hmm. and it disrupts ovulation. So we went through um, intrauterine insemination to have Ferris. Okay. Uh, something because we weren't it wasn't happening on our own, and so he was conceived in a doctor's office. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, um, that's we an amazing got, story. And we, out, we were also told this wouldn't work the first time. He said, you know, don't get your hopes up. He's like, I know you've been trying for a long time, but this is going to take two or three times. So mm -hmm. that first pregnancy test, I was like, this is going to say, uh, there's the other cat. Um, this is going to say I'm not pregnant. Right. Um, and it did not say that. Like, I was freaking out. I ran to our bedroom, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this thing says I'm pregnant. Oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and then he made me take another one and another one and another one, and I'm like, okay, this is for real. Yeah. Well, I mean, the level of excitement's got to be high because you guys have been trying for over a year and, you know, without success and then finally see that. Well, especially at our age, mm -hmm. other people around you are also trying to have children. And so, like, all of my girlfriends are pregnant. All of, they, all of them were having babies, you know, and I'm just like, I can't have a baby. Right. It was miserable. I mean, I cried every day. It was miserable. Yeah, but let me let me take a step back in your story and at, ask you about that. Because I, I know I had people in my family and friends who went through the same thing where they just couldn't have a child for the longest time for years and ups and downs with tests and hoping they were going to get pregnant and stuff. What was it like? Like I want to ask you about that because you mentioned with your friends. What was it like mentally and socially for you when you see everyone else just getting pregnant just like that? And it's not fun because they try to offer you advice and there's nothing that anybody can say to you because they can't relate. There's mm -hmm. no way if – you know, you went off your birth control two weeks ago, and then you find out, you know, three months later that you're pregnant. You know, I'm like, it's like I I couldn't deal. I'm just like, I don't understand how why it's so easy for everyone else. Right. It was just, it was really hard. Yeah, I imagine it must have been tough for you thinking, what am I doing wrong? Talking about with other people, especially if they were pregnant, and that's hard because these people were my best friends. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it's it's frustrating. Right. And now I have a girlfriend who has one child, and she can't have another one. Her daughter's 11 years old. You know, she had to settle herself and say, this is all I'm going to have, all I'm going to get. Mm -hmm. But at least you have her, you know? Right. But yeah. I, now she understands because she's now in that boat, you know? Right. Exactly. Did you feel any time during that time frame when you had friends getting pregnant and you were struggling? Did you feel isolated at all because people oh, maybe weren't talking to you? Um, I don't believe that they – I hid it very well, I think. You know, okay. um, I was only open with, like, my mother, Corey, um, and a couple of friends. But when your friends are pregnant and having babies, they don't want it, to it, – I don't want to upset them, especially, like, early on when you have all those hormones going on. I'm aware of all of that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a delicate balance with women and dealing with stuff like that. So I really wasn't super open about it until after the fact. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've had people on our show who have dealt with losses of children in childbirth, you know, didn't make it all the way, or a loss of a spouse, and they talk about that same kind of a feeling about being isolated, because people don't want to bring it up, 
and they don't know how to approach you and because they're having all this success and joy. And what would you say to somebody like to kind of give them that permission to what to say to you? Um, I am open about it now because I hope that if someone hears me talking about that, they can say, hey, can I talk to you? I'm having that same issue and I don't have anybody to talk to. Nowadays, I feel even though it wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things of my life, mm -hmm. but I was pregnant with Ferris almost 10, 11 years ago. So it, I really wasn't on like message boards and chats. I didn't have Facebook then. Mm -hmm. So wow. I didn't have an online community. Now women have on, online communities that they can go to. Right. I'm sure there are plenty of groups for women who have lost a child, women who struggle with infertility, because having people who are dealing with the same issues, there's just nothing like that feeling. Everybody knows that. Right. You know? No, you're, it's very important that you brought that up because um, Taylor Moliterno is one I had on in season one. She dealt with the loss of uh, her baby, Frankie Joy. And, um, what she dealt with in that time frame was she was journaling every single time everything's were going on. She was journaling in real time and blogging about it. And the best thing that happened out of it, the people in the comments below, they said, you know, I lost a child. Now hearing you share that story makes me feel normal and it yeah. takes me out of that isolation. So I think like you said, having that online community, people, there's nothing like that. And for older generations, you know, they didn't have that. And I have an aunt who lost a son, and he was 24 years old. He would be Corey's age now, 41. Mm -hmm. And when he died, it's a shame to say this, but there was a pretty large community of women her age who had also lost children. And that's who she turned to. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it really is, it's nothing like somebody who understands, for sure. Right. It's frustrating when you can't express that, especially to somebody that you care about and you want them to understand. Because mm -hmm. you know, even my parents, because, you know, even neither one of my mothers struggled. I have a mom and a stepmom, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they, neither one of them experienced any sort of pregnancy loss. Um, so they couldn't relate in the terms of that. They could relate in the terms of, I guess, me wanting to be a mother because they understand mm -hmm. the desire. Sure. You know? Yeah. So... We'll jump back into your story a little bit. The craziness, you found out you're pregnant. You did like 500 <laughs> pregnancy tests. You're really excited. So yeah. what happened next? Um, all the normal things. I mean, you know, blood work. Um, I did not allow any invasive testing because it took so long to get pregnant with Ferris. I didn't want um, to have any sort of needle going into the belly. So no amniocentesis. Um, you want to describe what that is for people who may not know what that means? So it's basically, basically what they described to me is where they stick a giant needle into the belly. It has to go into the actual amniotic fluid. So you're piercing the amniotic sac. Right. Um, what I was told is like, I think it's like, uh, chances like one in 2000 is what I was told. I'm like, still, that's too much for me, you know? Right. Um, but they take a sample of that fluid, pull it out, and so they can test it for any sort of, um, you know, obviously an abnormality with your child, mm -hmm. whether it be spina bifida, Down syndrome, um, whatever. So all we knew is that we, we were going to have a baby and nothing was going to stop us from having that baby, <laughs> no matter what they told us, so it didn't matter. Right. Uh, but even with our blood testing, um, I think they told us our chance was one in 5,000 of having a child with Down syndrome and like all this other like medical stuff. Right. Um, so we never paid attention really to any of that. Everything mm -hmm. was coming up fine. Um, the only thing he sat like a little Buddha inside of me with his legs up under neath his bottom. Mm -hmm. So they thought he had a club foot for oh, quite a okay. while until he moved. <laughs> until he moved. Yeah. 
So what was your pregnancy like besides the medical part? Fun? Oh my God, so easy. I was never sick. Um, that's what I told, that's why I say I could do it probably a thousand times. Um, both of my pregnancies were pretty easy, but, um, I was just so overjoyed. I didn't eat anything I wasn't supposed to eat. I didn't have caffeine. Like I was perfect. <laughs> you did all the right stuff. All, all the right stuff. And that's what they tell you. Like it's not any, it's not about anything that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about what happens when it meets, when that zygote forms, mm-hmm. that's it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're getting, you're gonna get. Um, but yeah, no issues. I was huge towards the end, and my doctor thought Ferris weighed ten pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so like, he made me come in and do an ultrasound and like measured, and he he was like, "You're just measuring so big." He's like, "But the baby's not big." He's like, "So I'm not worried anymore." Okay, I mean, he was gonna like split me in half or something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. So um, I went into labor naturally. Um, a lot of babies with Down syndrome. That, by the way, we didn't know Ferris was going to have Down syndrome. He was not prenatally diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, that we were not told until probably twelve hours after his birth. But um, listen, let me ask you about that. So you yeah. you go into labor like normal, and you, had, you said your delivery was easy, mm-hmm. no problems. Well, no problems. Um, towards the end, I remember they put me on oxygen and they had something like on his head monitoring him. Um, so come at, and as he came out, the cord was wrapped just a little around his neck, but nothing, nothing to be concerned about. He was not in the NICU or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Everything was fine. Um, it could not have been fine for sure. Um, looking back on that, but I mean, I, I took all the drugs. I did all the things that I'm sorry. I'm not a hero. I don't like pain. Um, from the beginning, I knew I was getting an epidural. I'm like, that's going to be it. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> that is your journey and you are. Everybody's okay. entitled to their own birth journey. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not going to take anything away from that. So hey, what was it like for the first time you got to see Ferris? Um, it was cool because Ferris, I mean, Corey was very active in the birth. Like he was holding the legs, like telling me what he could see and like, you know, come on, you're, he's almost there. And like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm trying here. Um, <laughs> but he came out and they took him over and cleaned him off. And I think Corey was the first person to notice that they were doing things, maybe not like a, with a typical baby. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, he just noticed that they were just doing things that he didn't think they would do. So anyway, um, they wrapped him up and cleaned him off and handed him to me. Like, I, of course, I didn't notice any of this. I was kind of out of it, you know. Baby, sure. I hold, I held him, I cried, and um, then they took us to our room and then took him and bathed him and stuff. Um, he came back to the room that night. No one had, no one had said anything to us, which I don't think anybody could except for the pediatrician. Sure. After the pediatrician came, and he wouldn't be there till that morning. So, um. We, the nurse worked with me, we fed him through the night, we changed him, everything was great. At one point in the night, though, Corey looks over at me while I'm holding him, and he goes, do you think he has Down syndrome? Mm -hmm. And I looked down at him, and I was like, he doesn't look like it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I said, what do I, you know, I have no idea. Right. No, what would I know? And so, um, so apparently Corey could immediately see it. I mean, I didn't, you know. Um, he, you know, it was a vaginal delivery, so he was still kind of a little bit swollen, and every day oh, sure. clothes is like, you know, sort of just kind of little slits or whatever. Right. Uh, but after the pediatrician came and we watched him sort of do all these things with him, and then he was, <laughs> this is the worst part of our story because I, people, especially pediatricians um, and doctors, need to be educated on how to talk to people 
when giving a Down syndrome diagnosis or any diagnosis that they feel is not good, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, there's probably like a 60, 40, 70, 30 chance that he has Down syndrome. I looked at Corey and I was like, what? what? I'm like, isn't that something that you have or you don't have? Like, there's, right. like that's not a, like a, you can't develop it over time. You can't lose it. Like, right, yeah. So I, I, I look back on that now and to this day I don't see that pediatrician. He was not kind about his, diagno- his delivery mm-hmm. of the diagnosis. Um, I don't remember him being warm at all. So the next day, it was a different pediatrician, and he was fabulous, and he's the pediatrician that we see to this day. Good. Um, and also the geneticist who came to visit us was really fabulous um, because she was the first person who came besides family members who asked to see the baby and picked him up and held him and oohed and odd over him and just told me all the things I felt in my, my heart. Right. He's your baby. Take yeah. care of him. Yeah. Love him. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'll take a little step back in your story there. And um, like you said, you didn't – like Corey said, he saw something. You're the mom, and you guys have been waiting for well over a year plus to have this baby. 2005, and he was born in January of 2009. Okay, so it was quite the journey to see this, <laughs> see this precious baby boy – that you've yeah. been, you know, praying about and hoping for for all these years. Exactly, and that's why I'm like, I, I was like, I don't care. He's my baby. I'm like, what does this, what does this really mean? Right. And reading about it and and hearing about it from other people, and I actually received a phone call from another mother from the Down Syndrome Association of Florida. They reach out to every new mom of a child with Down Syndrome, and the lady that called me, her name was Julie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and her son Mason was five years old, and he was her very first child too. And so talking to her was just, like, so uplifting. Mm-hmm. Because she had nothing but positive things to say about her son and her experiences. So I was just so excited then, you know. So then people are calling me, and they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. And they, right. then I truly was fine. Like, Corey was freaking out. He was – we had to put him on anxiety medication. Like, he was just like – but he isn't an anxious. He's right. that kind of person. I'm not. Well, let me, let me ask you about that then. Because I, I want – I know my listeners kind of connect to that part of the story, the part that, you know, maybe the anxiety of that. So when you guys first heard that, I know you didn't care because you wanted a baby regardless. <laughs> but when you first heard someone say, okay, I think your baby might have Down syndrome, what did that kind of mean to you? I knew it meant that he would be different from other kids in the sense, like, I never – I, you know, encountered people with Down syndrome. I'd never known someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the entire pregnancy, I was drawn to children with Down syndrome. It's the weirdest thing. Every time I saw a child with Down syndrome in a theme park, I pointed that child out to Corey. I was like, oh, my God, look at that precious child. Yes. And that was the, like, looking back, that's the weirdest thing ever. So after they told us, he, I'm holding the baby, and they leave us alone. Well, he starts researching immediately, on the, like, online. Like, right. what does this really mean? Um, and the more he read, the more settled he got. Okay. But I'd say the first probably 12 hours – yeah, he was like just worried that it that it meant all those things that he had heard before, you know. Right. He wouldn't have a good life. He wouldn't be able to do all these things, or he wouldn't be able to talk or walk or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's so different now, Corey. I'm like, it's 2009, like you know, and so many things that we can do to help and whatever. And that's I said, we're going to join this association. I said. 
started going to baby groups. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't take us as long as some other people. I have friends who tell me that they had to mourn the loss of the child they thought they were going to have. I had no preconceived notions about the child mm-hmm. I was going to have. I knew he was a boy, but I really, I didn't. I, I don't know why. Right. Well, let me, I will take it one step back to when you got that phone call from Julie and she was able to talk to you about her son and stuff. How amazing it was it for you at that time to have someone come alongside of you in your journey, in your story, yeah. and kind of speak some truth and it some makes, hope? Right. It makes such a big difference in my opinion because it, if I had not had that, I think it would not it, – it, it could have been the difference actually, Tim, for sure. Right. Because she was like, congratulations, how big was he? Like asking me all these questions and then talking about Mason and her journey and how scared she was and how everything is so wonderful now. And she had two other boys now, you know. Right. Um, and I, we are friends on Facebook. We follow each other. Um, I've never met her in person ever. Wow. Yes. I just but, felt, I, but I have been that person now for someone else. So I have a very good friend from high school. Mm-hmm. who gave birth last year to a little girl named Mary. And at about 12 weeks, Mary, they were told Mary was not going to survive at all. Oh, wow. She was going to be born without all these different things. And if they could carry her to term, they would be saying goodbye very quickly. So they came to terms with this, you know. And then I guess a couple months later, she said it was another doctor's visit. And the doctor was like, all those things I told you before, I don't see anymore. Oh my and gosh. the baby's going to have Down syndrome. And she was like, Down syndrome? Oh, well, we can handle that. She's like, what are you talking about? She goes, I have a friend. She has a son with Down syndrome. She's like, oh, so you know somebody. And she was like, yeah. And so then after Mary came, she and I had bonded over that, and I was that person for her. Even though she knew me and had been watching my journey, um, having that person to talk to, mm-hmm. because she also had those fears about, you know, she's like, what if, you know, what if they're right? What if she is going to be like, you know, she's not going to be able to do anything or whatever. And right. um, this wasn't the child that I expected. And I'm like, actually, I said, no, she's not the child you expected. I said, you expected not even to have a child. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I said, not even given such a great gift. And, and she is, in my opinion, like they say that God gives you what you can handle, which I really, I hate that expression, by the way. <laughs> um, can I just say that? Like, sure. I just I feel like some people overuse it, in my opinion, so it gets on my nerves. But this, she is not a girly girl. She is a hunter. She is an athlete. And both of her girls are girly. And I feel like it's bringing out a side of her that she didn't know she had <laughs> and making her a softer person. And it, I love her. I love Mary and Anna for, Etta for bringing that out in her, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's and just the... That journey with her. It's, we're like a big family. If you are a member of the T21 family... I don't care who you are. I was in Key Largo two weeks ago, and I saw a mother with a little girl. And I was like, I know she has Down syndrome. And I told Chris, I'm going to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And she, Yeah, it's so great. So what's really cool is, and the whole point of I get people on the podcast to do this, it's so important to share your story and your journey. Yeah. Because that really means a lot to other people. Like Julie coming alongside you, you coming alongside your friend, and hopefully she'll do that for somebody else. Exactly. Because People feel isolated. People feel alone no matter what you're going through. And to come alongside someone, share your story, to make them feel normal in just a little bit, give them that hope that it can't be understated how important that is. And, you know, you also can't underestimate people. And doctors, therapists, people in general, 
underestimate people with Down syndrome every day and other people that have any other sort of extra need or disability. Um, Ferris, he rolled over at 17 days old. I was like, they told me you wouldn't do this for like so long. I'm like, oh wow. my God, you're a genius. <laughs> you know? Like, um, I worked so hard on it, like with phys physically, you know, with him to make sure he could do the things that he needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, that is not fun with a toddler. Forcing a toddler or a child to crawl or walk with these weirdo machines. Right. It's hard. You have to be strong, willing to watch someone else suffer for their own good. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, that's got to be tough as a parent especially. What was it like when you guys left the hospital? Because, I mean, it's tough enough just being a new parent uh, and you're like, okay, I fly like, free. So I feel like we got a huge break with newborn Ferris. I tell okay. Corey this all the time because he was first. Um, you know how newborn babies cry all the time? Mm -hmm. Ferris didn't cry all the time. Ferris hardly ever cried. If Ferris cried, something really bad was wrong. <laughs> okay. But I was also like, I anticipated everything, you know, like as most new moms do, you know, you're sure. just a little overexcited about things. Um, so when we, obviously we were super tired when we came home, but we were a team and we had the bassinet next to my side of the bed, wake up, feed him. I breastfed him for about seven weeks. Um, to the breast, but he had a horrible latch and suck. So it, I started pumping, and I pumped everything for six months for him until I got pregnant with the second baby. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to feed another child. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. But so I would wake up and feed him, um, and then I would hand him off. Corey would burp him and kind of get him settled again. And then if he woke up again and he needed to be changed, Corey changed the diaper, I'd do the feeding. And then he'd settle him back down because mm -hmm. he was the champion swaddler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I was a champion swaddler too. He took about almost two, he took a full month off where he didn't work at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then for the second month, he kind of just like slowly went back. And then by the third month, he was fully back doing everything full time, which he works, we work from home. So it's really hard to escape your job sure. you know, and put that on the side. But it meant a lot to both of us to, have, to be a part of those first few, you know, moments and weeks and months. And he was such a great baby that. Um, when his sister was born and she cried like a typical newborn, Corey told me, he's like, take her to the doctor. Something's wrong with her. <laughs> I said, no, baby. This is how it was supposed to be with Ferris. <laughs> I feel like because you deal with so many extra things with therapy and with yeah. just whatever else, medical issues, that God gave us a break. Mm -hmm. Because almost every other mother that I have talked to, their newborn with Down syndrome is the most perfect newborn ever. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know what? Deal with issues. We didn't have heart surgery. Ferris does not have a heart defect. He oh, has amazing. a slight murmur. And, you know, about 60% of children with Down syndrome born, they have a heart defect of some right. sort. So, you know, he's super blessed to not have to deal with that. Let me take a part of your story I want to ask you about. Um, and so people know, uh, we know Julie and Corey. They're on another podcast called The Diz Unplugged. It's a Disney podcast and travel podcast. And we were listened to that for years, and we always knew who Julie and Corey were. We kind of followed them on their journey, you know, talking about getting pregnant and stuff like that. And um, you talked about people calling you in the hospital saying, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Are you okay? And, <laughs> and um, you kind of referenced this on the podcast, and you had a line that really stuck out to Leslie and I, and it was so powerful. Can you kind of talk about that story? I was going to, and I um, – the worst thing that you can say to someone when they have a baby is, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Okay. So imagine if 
Okay, so say you had a baby, and you were hoping it was going to be a girl, and it was a boy, and someone's like, oh, I'm so sorry it was a boy. I mean, that's rude. Yes. So people were writing into our show, congratulating us on the birth of our first child, which is awesome. You know, people feel like they, they know us, and it's, it's, a, it's beautiful. It can be a little extreme sometimes, but it really is super nice. Um, well, there were a couple people that wrote in, and they were like, I'm so sorry that you're going to have to deal with this, you know, for the rest of your life, and I'm so sorry. And I'm like, you know what, people? I said, you can stuff your sorries in a sack, okay? I don't want them. You keep them. Go on a lake. I don't care. Whatever. It's a line from Seinfeld. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. I grew up yes. watching with my dad. I, it's a part of my daily life. Like, I yes. probably quote it without even knowing. <laughs> yes. Um, and it did. It got an extreme reaction. Um, a lot of people were like, yay, thank you for saying that. I mean, and some yeah. people thought it was a little extreme. But you know what? It's my child and my life, and I'm not sorry, and I don't need your pity. Right. We I thought mean, that was. benefit anyone. Yeah, we thought that was amazing, very powerful. Our background is Leslie. She's been a special ed te education teacher for 18 years. You know, I was a paraprofessional with kids. And um, we love kids with disabilities and special needs, especially Down syndrome. They're just the happiest children, mm -hmm. anything. And so when we heard you talking about that experience and you said that, it was just so – it was touching for us. It was so powerful. It was just like, I'm a mom. Get the hell away from me. I, I'm going to do this, and I don't need your sorries. And I just no, thought that was like so amazing. Yeah, I'm like, don't, I don't, don't pity me. I'm like, that's just so, he's a child. He's going to grow up to be an adult. He's going to grow up to be a person just like you. And hopefully I can make sure he's a productive member of society. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's and, nine now and he, he's going to be in third grade and he's accomplished a lot in his life. Um, I feel like he's a great swimmer. He loves baseball. He's taking mm -hmm. special Olympics gymnastics now. Oh Those yeah. <laughs> Um, but he loves basketball. It's one of his favorite things. He has a goal now, and he's learning how to dribble. Okay, you take things for granted like that. Right. You know, we go out, and we just dribble the basketball. That is a hard skill mm -hmm. for someone with low muscle tone and not great hand-eye coordination, you know? Yeah. So, but we've been working on it this summer. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was your journey like? So you after you had Ferris, you come home, you're learning all these new different things, and I know he's nine now, and amazing child uh we follow you guys and your pictures and he just therapy was the main focus of our life tim just therapy. tell me tell me about that for somebody who's so, going through that physical therapy is is required occupational therapy and speech therapy so we started speech therapy for feeding which helped with being able to use a bottle to be able to eat we had like a certain jaw weird thrust hold that we had to do that would cramp your hand in order to, for him to be able to drink from his bottle um so once he graduated from that, speech therapy became, became like food therapy, and then now it's uh, graduated into sounds and different things like that, and now it's just full-on talking and learning how to, to properly enunciate and shape your mouth and your tongue mm -hmm. in order to make these sounds that we all make no problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. Physical therapy is what helps with, uh, it helps with fine motor, gross motor. Um, so crawling, walking, um, even rolling and learning how to just bring his hands together at midline. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then um, occupational therapy is, well, now for us, it's more about writing and cutting and um, doing all these different skills. Like they haven't had him doing sit-ups now and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know? Wow. Um, 
and we went through a phase with physical with uh, physical therapy where you had to wear these horrible little bike shorts. <laughs> what they are is they're they're what you think they are bike shorts. Yeah, they're sewn together from the crotch to the knee, in between. Oh, so that if you want to sit up, you can't. He couldn't lay his legs wide open. He had to keep them together and learn how to maneuver his body up without opening his legs. Oh wow! So like things that you just don't think about. Yeah, all, absolutely. You know, and so he graduated. He didn't graduate from physical therapy until he was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And we will do occupational and speech therapy for the rest of his life. Um, he wow. goes twice a week privately, and he gets um, two times a week speech therapy at school, and he also gets forty-five minutes of occupational therapy at school. Okay. In addition to other services. Um, so in the beginning, they have something that they call early intervention. Mm-hmm. And they send, basically, it's like a little preschool teacher, and she comes to your house for like 30 minutes a week. Yeah. And then once he t- turns three, that he moves into the school system, and he starts like a, um, a voluntary pre-K program. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and it's for varying exceptionality. So there will be children with disabilities and without in the pre-K program. And he moved through that. And now he is fully included. He's been fully included in his classroom since kindergarten. That's amazing. I think uh, how things have changed in the last even 15 years, the inclusion in the public schools is amazing. I we mean, do it in the public school. You do? Okay. Because, you I mean, you probably had the same experience me growing up as I did. Kids with special needs, they weren't in any rooms. They were just in a special room. I went to a private school, so there was no special education. Okay, so yeah, for me in a public school, they were never included in any kind of classes. You know, they were all just kind of put in a room. They did their own thing, and you never saw them. Um, And now we have learned that not only the children who have the disability, but your typically developing children, everybody benefits. Yes. Because typically developing children are learning empathy and how to – appropriately deal with someone who is a little different from them mm-hmm. but yeah even just because someone's a little different doesn't make them strange or weird I and mean, you're not going to catch it i mean right. i go every year to his class and i do a little speech and i talk about ferris and how he's more alike than different right no yeah. so i was a paraprofessional for five years and i worked one-on-one i had um i had this kindergartner down syndrome his name was bear he was crazy. He was so much fun. He was a handful. But what I learned being in the schools, I did from K to fourth grade, and I always had someone with special needs. Um, the inclusion, they just felt like part of the normal class. Yeah. The kids, and I love what you said. It really taught them empathy, how to deal with things that are different from themselves, and how to include people no matter what they look like, act like, or do. And a lot of times, the children in his classroom, they have not had experience with someone with Down syndrome at all. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them have, but not many. Right. I, I can't – yeah, it's amazing how doing that so early on, kindergarten, preschool, having them included is just as like a normal person, treating them like that, it yeah, really – As parents, if, if you're a parent of a typical child, I think it's your responsibility to teach them that there are people in the world who are different from you. Absolutely. Um, people who may not have any legs, people who may have Down syndrome, people who have CP, and they walk differently from you. Um, it doesn't make them bad. It doesn't no. make them someone that you should stare at and ogle and make fun of. It makes them a person, just like right. you. And I, I just, I hope, I hope, and I, I wish that more parents would do that. Explain to their children that there are all different types of people in this world, not just colors, right? You know, also types. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Let me ask you a little bit about expectations as a parent. What was it like early on? Were, were you getting a list of things like he may never do this or he may never do that? Were you, were you getting those? 
honest, no, my pediatrician was not like that. Um, my therapist would give me a sheet and it would say like, you know, usually at this age, this is what kids are doing. So that I had an idea of where he sort of was and what we need to work on. Mm -hmm. It was never a, he's behind, he's doing this, the wrong's doing this wrong. Um, and even in school now, they, you know, we focus on what he can do. Right. Not what he can't do. And I we set it. according to that because he is on um, access points. Mm -hmm. So that is a diploma where we can work towards goals that are accomplishable for him. And so some of those might be third grade goals, but some of those might still be first grade goals because okay. he's in levels all over. Okay. So it makes it where he can actually accomplish things and be proud of himself, which is so great. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like he, you know, last year he finished with, I think all he had C's and B's. And I was just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, even a D, I'm like, it's not enough. <laughs> no, absolutely. I would live for C's and B's in high school. Expectations change. Yeah. Like, I expect him to be respectful. I expect him, I expect all the same things from him as far as, like, what I expect from his sister, whereas respecting people and listening and doing what they're supposed to do. And even academically, she's hard enough on herself. I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. But Ferris, he doesn't see that. He doesn't see the A, the B, the C, the D. He sees, I finished it. I did it. Yeah. You know? So that makes him happy. So that makes me happy. Right. You know? and like I told Corey, I, I tried very hard in the beginning because he was my only child. I had no one to compare him to. Sure. Which I think is really great for a first-time parent. But then you, ha you can't fall into the trap of comparing them to other typically developing children or other children with Down syndrome for that matter because right. no one is ever going to be on the same page, mm -hmm. ever. Right. You know? So that's my thing. I'm like, I don't compare him. And I celebrate every little goal. Absolutely. You cannot live looking years into the future with any child, but especially for my for my parents. Yeah. I live I look at every day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> every day is gonna be different, but yeah. Look, I have a question for you. When we talked before the show a couple weeks ago, you were talking about, you know, how you guys were enjoying your summer together. But you, you mentioned one thing, and I wanted to ask you about this. You said you were frustrated. You felt bad for Ferris. You're like, why can't he just be like a normal kid and enjoy his summer like everybody else? He's got to do all this extra work. What point as a parent do you get frustrated and like, leave him um, alone? I just wanted I'm to live his life. Up. I'm giving up now. We're not doing any extra work right now. Um, I, I get him to write his name for me, and we count, and we do some things like to keep his brain active. But I through June, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty on top of all yeah. of them. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to let you have a break now. So I'm like, mom's over it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've well, been doing, just been doing therapy and reading books and stuff, like mm -hmm. keeping his brain active. And he loves um, – it's a program on the computer that they have for school, and we play that. All right. Well, that's awesome. Like Cause, stuff. Yeah, because I, I imagine at some points, as much as you love Ferris, and the journey's got to be tough certain days. Oh, God, yes. You know? oh, um, God. And could, could you speak to any parents who are going through that kind of right now, maybe potentially who are having those tough days? What's, something that, um, what's a tough day look like to you? For me, um, would be when he will not do something for himself. Because he's nine. And I'm always like, you're nine. You can do it. <laughs> he absolutely can't do. Um, but, like, something he needs out of his room. His Mickey Mouse. Or I want some water. Or I want a snack. And I'll be like, okay, you go get it. And then mom will help you. Like, I'll help make sure you don't spill it when you're getting it in the cup or whatever. No. Right now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Mom doesn't do anything for anybody. 
right now. And like, I talk to him just like I would talk to anybody else. He doesn't get special treatment because mm-hmm. he has Down syndrome. <laughs> Hello, if yeah. I did that, he'd be walking all over me. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, you- usually I have to step away because mm-hmm. if you yell at Ferris, he shuts down and there's going to be no coming back from that. Got it. Counting, a lot of counting <laughs> so that you don't explode. <laughs> also remembering that his processing time takes longer. So if I say, Ferris, can you go pick up that stuff in the living room and put it in your room? And I wait. I count because I know he's processing what I said to him. And then he moves. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, though. Like today, I had a girlfriend over, and she has a child with Down syndrome, too. And she has two other girls. One is an infant. Okay. She's four months old. Presley is Finley's age, and Maddie is Ferris's age. So we're, we're a perfect little family combination, you know, yeah. kids the same age, whatever. Well, she deals with the same things, and Maddie can be very adamant about certain things, too, and she'll stomp her little foot at Kristen. And she and I had a conversation today about how we could see the little preteen attitudes coming out, and we're just like, <laughs> let's end, and oh, my God. <laughs> like, school's coming soon, honey, just hold on. But, you know, I think I feel like sometimes because I feel like I'm not supposed to lose my temper with them, I feel like I'm not supposed to yell. But those moments happen, and I think they happen to every parent. Oh, and yeah. I remember that he's going to survive, and that usually five minutes later, he doesn't even remember that it happened. I'm the one having the guilt trip about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But usually his things are just being stubborn. Mm-hmm. Being stubborn is the biggest thing. And he's almost 80 pounds now. So, you know, making him do something is really not an option anymore. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm strong, but 80 pounds is 80 pounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. 80 pounds of dead weight that doesn't want to move. <laughs> yeah. So I've gotten better at figuring out ways to, like, coax him out, like, in the pool, for example, if bad weather's coming yesterday, big thunderclap. And I was like, oh, my God, you got to get out of the pool <laughs> because he was in the pool and I'm just sitting there. And I wasn't wearing a swimsuit. Well, he's like taking the long way around the pool to get to the stairs. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I'm going to have to strip right here on the back patio, <laughs> jump into the pool, and, like, and get him out. No, he got out. He just took his sweet time. And I'm like, oh, my God. Meanwhile, I'm, like, fracking the lightning, like, making sure it's not me. <laughs> but these are things that I think that any parent is, can deal with. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I feel like our issues, because we're potty trained, you know, he's been potty trained since he was five years old, mm-hmm. and a lot of parents still deal with issues where their children aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine how frustrating that must be to have a nine-year-old who doesn't use the toilet. Right. You know, um, hang in there is what I would say. Just keep trying, keep going, you know. And it every day is different, and every day, I feel like there's always going to be good in a day, and there's always going to be maybe a little bit of some bad in a day. Just right. trying to on the good. Yeah, you know, absolutely. What kind of uh, hopes and aspirations do you have for Ferris for the future? I know you say you kind of live day by day. Um, I feel like I, I, I kind of hope Ferris will be an entertainment. <laughs> I think he can be an entertainer. Um, he loves being in front of people. I probably should have signed him up for acting classes when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want him to be happy like every parent does. But I hope that one day he wants to live on his own and that he can live on his own. Mm-hmm. I think that, that would be something that would mean a lot to him. Um, I hope he can drive one day, but we'll see about that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that is really up to every person and individual, but just want him to feel like he's living a good life. Right. And I think we will be responsible for helping do that. So we're trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, is that, 
what does that look like as a parent of someone who has Down syndrome or someone with a disability, knowing that you're going to be taking care of them for a lot longer than a normal parent would with a child? Um, sometimes I feel like if I think about it too much, I'm like, it's overwhelming. Sure. Because I feel like he already can, I already see so much of how independent he wants to be mm-hmm. and what he really can do and what he t- tries to show me he can't do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I really feel like he will be able to live on his own, and I think it's going to be harder for me to let go <laughs> yeah. and not have him living here. And uh, and probably because he has Down syndrome, I think it's going to be much easier to let Finley go. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, even though, like, I hope we can make him a perfectly – I just – I'm afraid of him being taken advantage of. That's my biggest fear. Yeah. I think that's with any person or child, but especially a child who is so trusting. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be hoping that he finds some friends that are, you know, willing to protect him too, mm-hmm. making sure he makes a good group of friends and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what's really important, and you talked about this some early on, is having support and stuff. And I think that, you know, and everyone says these things to you probably all the time, but you and Corey are really good parents. I mean, really. Um, I mean, we work with different parents of kids of disabilities and stuff, and not everybody is on board and that's their own journey and stuff and that's not any kind of judgment or anything but you guys have been like in it from second one like it doesn't matter we're gonna go we're gonna fight doesn't matter everything and i think that's so very very important it is because i love when i see other families out on vacation with their children who have down syndrome too taking them and doing things like normal people do Mm -hmm. because they enjoy having fun everybody wants to have fun i mean hello and so I just, that's from the beginning, we were like, he's going to go and do whatever we do. And he, he does, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. He, he's really good at going out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like his dad. <laughs> We've been taking him since he was so little. <laughs> <laughs> now, can he eat as much as Corey eats? That's the yes. question. Oh, yes. He certainly can. Oh, God help you guys then. Uh, oh, oh, no. This summer? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, how do you you don't eat this much when school's in <laughs> <laughs> what kind of um things are available in communities for people with let's just talk about down syndrome especially as a resources um, well for me locally like here in florida we have a down syndrome foundation mm-hmm. and they really focus on doing um scholarships for private schooling for karate horseback lessons whatever your child wants to do you fill out a form, you submit, you get a scholarship to help you pay for what they want to do. That's amazing. Awesome. Um, they have a fundraiser once a year. It's a big bowl of fun that they, mm-hmm. they raise most of their money. And then we have the Down Syndrome Association of Central Florida, which they focus a lot on their very early intervention. Um, mm-hmm. And that's who we worked with early on. And they do a lot of great work locally, and they host the Buddy Walk that is every year. Oh, okay. That raises money. Um and then nationally, and we have the National Down Syndrome, uh, I think it's Congress. They call themselves a Congress <laughs> uh, association. But, um, and for, for some people, like I joined music classes when Ferris was a baby, and there were kids there. They were mostly typical. I just did everything that any other mother would do with their baby with mm-hmm. him. So yeah. we did it was Mommy and Me music and Mommy and Me whatevers and exposed him to as many things as possible early on so that he would be socialized and mm-hmm. enjoy being out and about, you know, not hiding him away from the world. Yeah, absolutely. For the different resources you mentioned and stuff nationally, is there anyone out there specifically in those um, categories or 
uh, companies that are there to advocate for you, especially um, within schools and things? Yes. Um, there's a lady, she actually, she runs an advocacy business and she does help a lot of different families. Um, I've never hired anyone. Corey and I have always just done it ourselves. Um, I feel like that I'm the best person to fight for my child. Mm -hmm. but there are people out there who are not as, that's not the word I want to use. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, as bold as I am. Yes. <laughs> um, so I feel like that's why we're good at it is because we will say this is what we want and we know that we're entitled to it for Ferris. And some people have a hard time doing that. So right. having it really helps. Okay. I mean, I often go with my girlfriend sometimes when she has felt like, you know, she's like, I still know. She's like, God. I'm like, I'll go with you, Kristen. I'll, I don't care. You know, I'm like, I'll go with people at that school. I'll burn some bridges. <laughs> you know, like, I'm willing to be that person. I always have been because right. I really don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't. I just don't. <laughs> Julie, you're well, hilarious. You <laughs> I well, I. I think it's amazing that from second one and as he's grown up and the awesome kid he is, is that you guys have just nothing but focused on his ability, that he is not limited, that you guys focus on that he's limitless of his potential and what he can do with his future. Yeah. I mean, right now, if you're going to base off like what his interests are, he's probably going to be a drag queen. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're hilarious. I mean, he loves dressing up like a princess with his sister. Mm -hmm. I mean, we bought him his own Elsa dress for his birthday. He's set. Hey, <laughs> do what you got to do to have the best fun I you can. I love it. It's, you know, and every, because <laughs> we are those parents. I want him to do what he wants to do. Like, there are parents out there who would freak out. And my parents, I probably have a few family members that are like, I can't believe she lets him wear a dress. <laughs> but you know what? He's my child. And he loves it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the most fun thing ever. And so you touched on this briefly a second ago, and the last question I ask everybody is, like, specifically, yeah. what's the hope and encouragement you could offer to somebody who maybe just got this diagnosis or maybe okay. a friend of somebody? Okay, I would say you do what you feel is best for you and your child. Mm -hmm. Do not let someone tell you that they are not worth your time or your effort. They are because they are your child, and they're going to do whatever you help them to do because with any baby – if you just leave it and you don't nurture it and care for it and teach it, it's never going to talk. It's never going to walk. It's never going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So you take it upon yourself and you help that child and you find out what you need to do. Be bold. Be brave. Be strong, even if you can't be. <laughs> you don't have a choice now. That is awesome. I don't think you could have ended any better than that. Well, Julie, if anybody wants to get in touch with you after the show and touch base with you, maybe find out about your story, about resources, how can they get in touch with you? Um. I Instagram is my favorite, so okay. I could give you that handle because they could message me there. Okay. Well, we'll include that in the show notes when this <laughs> podcast go live, and we'll have that out there so people yeah. can touch base with you and it's follow Facebook. along. I'm not, I'm not big on Facebook. Like, I'm rarely on. So, yeah, Instagram's the best way. Instagram. Okay. And they can follow along your story <laughs> with Ferris and your, your beautiful yeah, daughter, sure. Finley. I'm, yeah. I'm open. Like, I, I, I'm not private, so of course they could. Sure. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. hey, I can't thank you enough for coming on oh, today. awesome. I had a great time. Well, it was my absolute pleasure to have Julie on the show today. I really want to thank her for coming on and being very candid and sharing her journey with us and all about her infertility and where it led to her getting pregnant and having Ferris and her journey with him up to this point. Thinking back on Julie's story, a couple of things that stood out to me were early on, which she talked about where Corey and her were talking about having a family and they were ready to start trying to have babies and they couldn't right away. In the frustration and 
the sadness that kind of came along with the infertility, friends getting pregnant, them struggling, and finally to that point where they did get pregnant in that office, and they knew that they were going to have a baby, and they went through the whole pregnancy, you know, and they were so excited. Julie talked about it that, you know, to her, they didn't want to do the test because it didn't matter to them because they had struggled so long to be able to have this baby. They were not going to risk it no matter what. And they find out they're having a boy, so excited, get to the pregnancy. The boy is born, beautiful baby boy. They're so excited. And then they find out that he has Down syndrome. And right there at that point, their story could have gone one to two different ways. So I read a statistic online that one in 700 babies are born with Down syndrome. So they could have looked at it like, what are the odds? You know, we couldn't get pregnant. We struggled for a long time. And now we have a baby boy, and now he has a disability, he has Down syndrome, and now our life is forever changed. But Corey and Julie went the other way. They thought of it as another way. Is one in 700 babies have Down syndrome, and God chose us to have this baby. And you heard Julie talk about in the story about stuff your sorries in the sack. She didn't care about anybody else coming and saying, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry about people mourning the loss of the child they thought they were going to have. Corey and Julie were blessed to have the baby they have, blessed to have Ferris. It didn't matter if he had abilities, disabilities, whatever. They were going to love him and raise him and care for him just like any other child. And I think it's so important in the story to know that, that in life you can think, oh, my gosh, one in 700 chances and it happened to me. Of course it happened to me. Or to flip it around like they did, one in 700. And it chose me. It chose me to be the mom and to raise this baby and love it. And so when things are stacked against you, sometimes flip what's going on upside down. Instead of thinking, why me? Think, try me. I've got this. And to realize that these blessings are there that you can't see yet because maybe you're up in a tough decision or a tough diagnosis or something has happened. But to take a breath for a minute and think about why this certain thing maybe came into your life or happened to you and how you can turn that around and make it a blessing in your life and make it a plus instead of a negative. Typically on a weekly basis, I like to try to post motivational quotes on Facebook and things like that that I've come across. And one that I've used many times before is this one. Be brave. Even when you're not, pretend to be. No one can tell the difference. And it really stood out to me because I remember that quote when I talked to Julie. And if you guys just listened to the end of the podcast, what she said at the very end was very powerful. And what she said was, be bold, be brave, be strong, even if you can't be. You don't have a choice. And she was talking about speaking to people of families who had somebody who was going through maybe diagnosed with a child with Down syndrome or a different disability or something like that where they're really up in it. But to take that same advice just in life, just in everyday things, be bold, be brave, be strong. Even when you can't be, you don't have a choice. Apply that to life. Be bold, be brave, be strong. In your relationships, be bold, be brave, be strong. When things are going hard, be bold, be brave, be strong. When things are going easy, be bold, be brave, be strong. Even if you can't be, because you don't have a choice. Now, she was talking, again, about having a family or a child with disability. What we're talking about in life, you don't have a choice but not to be brave. Be bold and be strong for yourself 
for your family, for those around you, for your future, for your vision, for what's coming next. So take a minute today and challenge yourself for those three things to be bold, be brave, and be strong. And see how your day progresses, see how your life changes just a little bit. It's when you shift that lens of why me to try me is where you're going to have that growth. If you are looking in ways to participate in your local Down Syndrome Association or Down Syndrome community, one of the biggest things they do usually throughout the year is the Buddy Walk. Now, the Buddy Walk is a fundraiser, and it's used to raise money for local and national initiatives that benefit people with Down Syndrome. So I know there's local walks around here all the time that people team up, and they have team names, and they have amazing T-shirts, and it's such a fun, uh, energetic event where everybody comes out and supports each other and to raise money and raise awareness. So if you're looking for something like that, check out your local website for your uh, local National Down Syndrome Association, and they do have a whole map of locations that do have the buddy walks for you to participate in. And lastly, before we wrap up this week's episode, I just wanted to briefly say that people with special needs, they aren't defined by their needs. That's not what makes them special. What makes them special is the same thing that makes you special. Your ability to love, ability to be loved, to experience life, to have hope for a future, to have a vision for yourself, and to do all the things that you've ever dreamed about. And so to not treat people with a disability as someone that is limited. They are limitless like you are. And for you just to show them that same respect and show them that same love that you want to be shown to you. Guys, I can't thank you enough for joining me for another episode this week. Um, I'm so blessed to be able to do this podcast and uh, speak to amazing people like Julie and help them share their story of their son and all the hope they have for him as well. Um, I would ask you to join the conversation. I'm looking for people to be on the podcast to share their stories of hope and to show that their story is unwritten as well. Reach out to me at Tim at UnwrittenLifePodcast.com. Please email me any questions, parts of your story, something you want me to share online. I'd be happy to do that for you. You can join our Facebook group. It is Unwritten Life Podcast. Also on Instagram at the Unwritten Life Podcast as well. So please reach out to me, any one of those places. I would love to hear from you. Like I say every episode, you guys are the heartbeat of the community. And I appreciate all of you guys for participating, downloading, and sharing the podcast. So like always, we've come to the end of another episode, but this is not the end of your journey, the end of your story at all. Remember that you matter, you can make a difference, and that your story is still unwritten.